I'm glad you're here with us this morning, and as we celebrate uh, Memorial Day weekend, just a great chance to be in, in God's house. Those of you who are watching online, we are excited to have you to join us, and we have people traveling this weekend. We're excited that you've taken some time to, to worship with us, and again, those at Buchanan, great to have you uh, as well. If you have your Bible, let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8. And we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is an amazing book. Hebrews can have some tough, tough stretches, though. I mean, there can be some parts of Hebrews that are just a little bit, kind of get a little bit tough to get your mind around. I think back when I was in school, I, I struggled. I struggled in, in math and algebra, anything with numbers, like not real strong. And I had an algebra teacher that I, I just really loved. And one of the reasons why I loved her so much is because she had catch-up Fridays and so really what that was on Friday, there was no new material. So everything on Friday just kind of was review over the previous week. So I was like, I can breathe easy and maybe I can kind of catch up. So you are here on Catch Up Friday through Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8 in many ways is sort of like a catch-up concept. And, and here's what I, I believe about Hebrews. I, I personally believe Hebrews was first of all given as a sermon. And I'll show you why I believe that. And then it was transcribed, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit and Obviously, we have it in our scripture, but it's a chance to kind of look at some of these really important concepts of our faith that can help us just to be grounded so much. And, and in fact, sometimes people ask me, kind of, what's the main point of Christianity? Kind of boil it down to me. You ever had some thoughts like that? If it's like a complicated issue, whatever somebody's talking to you about, and you're like, just boil it down to me. Just like, give me the main point of that. And that's what Hebrews chapter 8 uh, is, is about. So let, let's go ahead and look. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Take a look at what he says. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. I titled our message today, Main Points. You see where I got that? Super creative, right? Uh, in fact, but if you'll notice, I titled the message Main Points because here's how I know uh, the writer of Hebrews was a preacher because he does what every preacher does. He'll say, hey, I got, I got a main point, and then they'll give you seven in fact, that's what he does. He says, I have a main point. He gives you seven points. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the main points, and there's, there's seven of them. And these, are, I think, can be super, super helpful in our faith journey, whether you are just new uh, to, to Christianity or whether you've been a Christian for just a number of years. These concepts are so central, so I'm excited uh, for us to study God's Word. Just a reminder as we study Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews was written, first of all, to a group of first century Jews who had converted to Christianity, and they were facing some persecution from their Jewish relatives and neighbors who had not converted to Christianity, and they were really trying to pull them back under their old ways uh, to make sure they were obedient to the law of Moses, to come back to the temple and offer the sacrifices that were needed to be made at the temple. So they were, they were kind of wavering on whether they would stay committed to Christ or whether they would kind of turn and go back. And so that's the context of that. And I love what the writer of Hebrews or the preacher of Hebrews does. Instead of just filling their minds full of all the reasons uh, that they shouldn't, he just does one thing. He focuses on a clearer picture of Jesus Christ because he understands this. If you could see Jesus for who he is, the supremacy of Christ, you wouldn't want anything else. And so that's what the book of Hebrews is about. He's just showing that Jesus is greater, greater than everything in our life that wants to kind of draw us back. So here we go. Hebrews 8.1. 
It says, now the main point of what we're saying is this, we do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And I'm just wondering if there isn't this question from these first century Hebrews and they're like, you know what, we don't even have a priest anymore. Now that we've committed to Christ, we don't even have a priest, so I don't even know, like I can't even go, go to the temple and who's going to offer sacrifices for me or if, I, if, I, you know, if my child wants to get married, who's going to do their wedding or what about my funeral? I don't even have a priest anymore. And the writer of Hebrews says, you have the ultimate high priest. His name is is Jesus. And let me tell you something about Jesus. He sat down, meaning completed action. He offered his life once and for all. It was the ultimate, all-sufficient sacrifice, right? So you don't have to keep going back to offer sacrifice after sacrifice because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. This is interesting. If you take a look at all the decorations in the Holy of Holies there in the temple, the only piece of furniture that it really doesn't have in the Holy of Holies was a chair. There was no place, a bench, there was no place for the priest to sit. Why? Because they were always standing, offering sacrifice. But Jesus sitting down really is an important principle. In fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about it four times in the book. In other words, that's a pretty significant thing and make a major difference in our relationship with Christ. And then verse 2, he says, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle. Now, you might underline that word serve. He says, you have a high priest right now who's at the right hand of God who is serving. He's your priest. He's interceding. He's serving you at the right hand of the Father. Is that good news? I mean, think about it right now. Uh, Not only... Did Jesus do an atoning work for your sin when he died on the cross? But he's at the right hand of the Father advocating for you and for me as believers, even in this moment. Does that help you just a little bit? The writer of Hebrews is saying, you got a priest. You got the ultimate high priest in Jesus who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. He's saying, you want to go back and worship in the temple. It was just made by men's hands. The money was given by King Herod. But he says there's a true tabernacle in heaven. That the, the temple in Jerusalem was just a shadow of this true tabernacle where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. Verse 3, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one who is Jesus also to have something to offer. That's a powerful verse. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Every priest and every high priest has to have something, has to offer gifts and sacrifices. First of all, before they could offer a sacrifice for anyone's sin, they had to offer a sacrifice for their own sin. But Jesus didn't have to do that because he was the sinless, all-sufficient sacrifice. But that doesn't mean that he didn't bring something. He said Jesus had something to offer, and what was it? Think a little bit. It was his very life, right? So this ultimate sacrifice. So again, what is he trying to show? He's trying to show the supremacy of Christ in all things. He's saying, why would you want to go back under that when you have this? Does that make some sense? You see what he's doing? Powerful. Now, if he were on earth, starting in verse 4, meaning Christ, if Christ were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. Now, that's a confusing passage for people. What does it mean? I thought we said Jesus was a priest, but he wasn't in the line. We saw a couple weeks ago of Aaron or in Levi. He's in the line of Judah. He is this priest, and he is this king, and he wouldn't be going to the temple offering sacrifices. Why? Because he's the ultimate sacrifice. He's everything those sacrifices were pointing to. He's the fulfillment of that. Verse 5, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow. If you have your Bible open, you have a pen, you can underline that word shadow because it's going to be super important to what he's talking about. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses 
when he was warned, when, it, when he was about to build the tabernacle, and God says to Moses in the book of Exodus, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on this mountain. On what mountain? On Mount Sinai. Moses not only received the law from God, but he got the specifications for the earthly tabernacle where the children of Israel would worship. But that earthly tabernacle was a, was, was a shadow of what the heavenly reality was. Verse 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, meaning Jesus is a superior high priest and his ministry is superior to theirs, right, to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since this new covenant is established on better promises. In other words, this is so powerful. What Jesus is this ultimate high priest is bringing, he's bringing a whole new covenant, whole new promise of God for the people of God, and this is what everyone had been waiting for, the new covenant. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he said, this priest has a new covenant. This priest Jesus has a new covenant, and it is better. Like on Thursday night, we got into a little kind of disagreement. It got a little weird here on Thursday night. We just have fun on Thursday night. You ever come and worship on Thursday night? It's different. It's kind of laid back. People just talk back and forth. It's a lot of fun. It's like old school church. And so I asked this question. I said, who's the greatest uh, rock guitarist of all time? Like, I'll just ask you now. Go ahead. I mean, don't argue, but who do you think is the best guitarist of all time? Anybody want to throw a name out? You're all wrong. Jimi Hendrix. Uh, so, like, you know, I mean, it was good. Those are good names. Good names. I, I think Hendrix is the greatest guitar, uh, guitarist of all time. So if you disagree. And people started arguing on Thursday night, which got super weird in church. It was like, wasn't the point. But, like, let's just say you agree with me, which most of you don't. Let's just say you agree with me that Jimi Hendrix was the greatest uh, rock and roll guitar of all time, but you gave Jimi Hendrix, this great guitarist, a ukulele. Like, you, know, you don't give a guy who can play like that a, a, a ukulele. You give him the best instrument possible. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying Jesus is the ultimate high priest, and the covenant that he mediates is not like the old covenant. He has a new and better covenant, and, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to lay out, this new covenant, and what are some of the promises that are inside it, and it's, it's just amazing stuff. Now, verse 7, he says, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. What was wrong with the first covenant? The people couldn't keep it, right? The laws, the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel, God made this covenant uh, with, with Moses, but the children of Israel, they couldn't keep that covenant. They couldn't keep the promises, and, and we'll see why. Verse 8, but God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Let me stop there. This is huge. Let me just say this. Starting in verse 8, we have this long section that is just a quotation from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. And so why is this so important? Like sometimes you'll hear people sort of say things like this, and, and, and maybe they're well-meaning, but it's just not accurate. They'll say, you know what, there's a, God in the Old Testament was kind of a God of wrath and a God of judgment, but the God of a new, the New Testament is a God of grace and a God of mercy. It's almost like God learned his lesson like in the New Testament and, and started acting differently, right? And that's just so foreign to the, to the truth. Every covenant, even the very first covenant God made with Abraham, all of those covenants were ultimately pointing to the new covenant that would come in Jesus Christ. So it isn't like God was kind of changing his mind. This was his plan all along. And so that's why it's so important that we hear from Jeremiah because Jeremiah is writing 700 years prior to Jesus coming. It just reminds us that this new covenant was always God's plan, right? The day, listen to what Jeremiah says in verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Now, again, this is 700 years before Christ would come. And with the people of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, right? That's the children of Israel under Moses' leadership and Moses ultimately getting the Ten Commandments with God. That's the covenant he's talking about because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. They didn't keep it, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Now, verse 10, this is the covenant. Now, do, do something for me on verse 10. Would you just help me out for just a little bit? It's the fourth time I, fourth time I preach this message. Right? Could you just help me? If you have a pen, could you get it out? Let's have some fun here. Verse 10, there's going to be a phrase that is mentioned three times in verse 10. It's mentioned three times. It's just a two-word phrase. It's mentioned three times in verse 10. I'm going to read verse 10, and then I'm going to ask you to see if you pick up on it. What, what, what is the phrase? Everybody play along? This is like a big, small group here. So that's what we're doing today, right? Are you, you good? Pick it up. Here we go. Verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What's the phrase that's repeated three times in verse 10? I will. That's fascinating, isn't it? So he says this new, here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This new covenant that Jesus is ushering in is better, and here's why it's better, because it, it, it is all about the faithfulness of God, not the faithfulness of man. Does that make sense? It's all about God's faithfulness, not man's unfaithfulness. It's all about what God would do. In fact, God is going to keep both ends of this covenant. It's his, his idea, and then he pays to bring it about. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. Is that a good truth? Like if you're in Christ, not assuming everybody's in Christ, but if you're in Christ today, here's what the Scripture says, not what Pastor Brady says. Here's what the Scripture says. God doesn't just forgive our sin. He chooses to forget our sin and remember them no more. Like, if we get a hold of that, that would change a few things in our life, wouldn't it? Isn't that good news? By calling this, verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Anybody remember one of these bad boys? All right, it's the Samsung 110 here. Um, this is my wife's, not now currently, but she always she keeps all of her phones, and it's kind of cool. She keeps her phones, and she just has them, and, and, and our grandkids play with them. And, and do, do you remember when people used to text on these things? Like, if you're a young person today, you should come up here after the service. I'll leave this thing out. You should see what we had to do. In fact, I couldn't even do it, right? But you'd have people just texting, wouldn't even look at it. it was I mean, would you agree that it, it was harder to text on this than on this? We have some common agreement here, right? This is iPhone 12, right? And so this is a much easier device to, to, to use than this. In fact, this device has made this device what? obsolete, right? Like you don't, you don't go, boy, I miss the old Samsung, right? I love that. Didn't have a camera. You couldn't text on it, but, you, you know, but I miss it. He's saying when you understand all the promises and all the features, everything you have in the new covenant, like it just makes the other one obsolete. Why would you go back to that when you have this? You understand his argument? It's a powerful argument. Now listen to how he, for, for the Bible, this is the, the, the Bible geek section uh, of the sermon because I, I just have to show you this one thing, and I know this is not for everybody, but hang on. By, the, by calling this covenant new, verse 13, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete means the old covenant, which is just the sacrificial system, right, living under the law. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear, 
That's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? Soon disappear. I just want to show you something. It has nothing to do with the message, but I just want to show you something because I, I just think it's the coolest thing. Hebrews was written somewhere between 66 and, and maybe 68 A.D., right? So anybody know what happened in 70 A.D. that was very significant in Jerusalem? Romans came and destroyed it and destroyed the temple, right? And, and so this temple, this temple was just, just a few years from being completely destroyed. So even if you wanted to go back and get under the old sacrificial system, it was going to disappear. You weren't even going to have an option to do that, right? And that just shows us the power of the Word of God. God understands exactly what's going to happen. So let, let's look at uh, the main points. I want to break this down. And again, he says main point and then gives us seven. So guess what? I'm going to do that. And somebody said, you know what, you could just give them three today. But you only come every other week, so I'm going to go ahead and give you seven in case you miss next week. we give you two messages for the price of one, right? Some people, ask, guys ask me, like, how, how do you deal with facts of just coming, folks just coming kind of every other week to church or every three weeks? I just say I give them three times a message. If they're just here, when they get here, just give them that, right? So you, anyways, that didn't go over well. Main points. Let's look at number one. Here's, here's the first main point. The Savior is greater than the shadows. That's what he's saying. He's saying the Savior Jesus is greater than the shadows. See, we like, we really like to operate under old systems. That's what they were wanting to do. They wanted to go back under the law, under the law of Moses. Why? Because the law is predictable, and we can kind of have some control over it. It's kind of like going back under a flip phone, though. Like It's obsolete. You don't need it anymore because Jesus, you couldn't keep the law anyways. But we do that. And, and this, is not just a, this is not just a message for first century Hebrews. It, it's, it's for us. Like, I, I think legalism today, I think there's something that uh, we might call Christian karma today that is very popular inside the church. And it really goes something like this. Like, when I beg you, God, in this area, then I expect you to bless me in this area over here. Like, you know, we showed up and came to the 11 o'clock service, and so I was at church today, so I hope that bodes well for my team this afternoon, right? Or anytime I obey you in this area, then, God, you are kind of obligated to really bless me in that area. That's Christian karma. That's that's far from the gospel. That's kind of operating under an old system where we kind of have some control. In fact, what we're trying to do in many ways is control God, right? And so that, that's, what's, that's what's obsolete. And so here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, God gave us shadows, like this worshiping in the, the temple, the sacrificial system. It was a shadow pointing to the ultimate reality, which was Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. So God gave us shadows to point us to him. But watch this. We make shadows the point. Does that make sense? God gave us shadows to point us to him, but as human beings, we make shadows the point. Like today, let me illustrate it this way, maybe not the best illustration, but let's just say you have a three- or four-year-old, right? They're not with you right now, but you know they're down in the nursery, and so you're going to walk down to pick them up, and they, did, they have an art, art project that they will do, do a little art, and so the teachers many times will put their artwork out for all the parents, like they're to be out in the hall, and so you see your kid's artwork, and you just you see your kid's name on it, and you just you look at it, it's amazing, right? It's the best art you've ever seen a three-year-old do, and you just, you just pick it up, and you just leave with the artwork. Artwork. You go home, you put it on your refrigerator, put it on all social media accounts, but you just left your kid here. Right? You, you, you got the artwork and you left the artist behind. 
many times that, 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 that's really what happens in our life is we stop short and, and we make the shadows the point instead of understanding what the, the, the shadows are, are pointing to. Now, I, no drive-by guilting here. No, I'm, I'm pro-vacation. I'm about to take one myself. But, you know, I hear some people say, you know what? The beach is my place, man. When I'm at the beach with my feet in the sand, then I, I am worshiping. And, and the beach is a great thing, but in some ways the beach is a shadow meant to point us to the glory of God. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of our God. And so we make shadows the point, or like the mountains are my place, man. When I'm in the mountains, I'm free. Or the mountains are meant to point us to the glory of God. All those things. Our, our, our children sometimes, we can make them the point. So here's the question. Like I'm going to give you seven questions to wrestle with. We've had a hard time getting you guys to come to small groups, so we're just going to have a small group here. So here's a small group question, right? And so I, I just wish you'd have the courage to talk about it, maybe with your spouse or just with a friend this afternoon. What shadows have become the point in your life? Is that a good question? Like, college students, you, you talk about that, right? Because we all have shadows that really become the point. To be honest with you, for me, one, t- one time in my life, ministry was a shadow that became the point. Uh, there was a season in my life where I loved ministry more than I loved Jesus. It was a very dark time in my life, you see, but we, we have those. Number two, here's the second main point. We'll pick up the pace here, right? We'll pick up the pace. The second main point is this, seated is greater than standing. Look back at verse one. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of God in heaven. What is he saying? Seated is greater than standing. A savior who is seated, who has a completed action for your sin debt, that every bit of work that you needed to make you right with God was already done by the work of Jesus. And when Jesus finished that, he sat down, but the priests are still standing, right? Do you want to go back under that standing? It's exhausting. It's striving. It's trying to right, behave in a way that brings about something, or do you want to believe and experience the rest that comes from knowing a seated Savior? In other words, grace is greater than works. Do you believe that? So let me ask you this question. It's an important question. And I have to tell you, I went through a stretch in my life, a long stretch in my life, where I really wrestled with assurance of my salvation. Anybody, anybody ever been there? And it was always kind of the thoughts that came into my mind was, Had I, have I done enough? Like, if, if, if what I, have I done enough? God, are you pleased with me? And it was only when I realized the work of a seated Savior that what Jesus did was enough. And if my trust was in him, then God was pleased with me, not on my performance, but on the completed work of Jesus Christ. And understanding him as a seated Savior began to really change things for me, right? So here's the question. In what ways? does a seated Savior, in quotes, bring you rest? In what ways, to know, knowing that you serve a seated Savior, what ways does that bring you rest in your life? I think it's an important question to wrestle with. Let's look at main point number three, right? And some of you are saying, tell me how many of those you had again. There's seven of them, but we're going to move through this. These are main point points, right? Number three, the faithfulness of God is greater than the faithfulness of man. That's a main point that he makes. He wants us to understand. In fact, he uses this I will statement six times in, in verses 1 through 13. Six times he uses an I will statement talking about what God has done in, in this passage. So what is he saying? Remember in verse 10, remember I had you bring your, get your pen out and underline that phrase three times, I will, I will, I will. The new covenant, here's what he's saying, the new covenant that Christ ushers in does not depend on man's faithfulness to God, 
but on God's faithful promise to man. You understand that? The new covenant doesn't depend on man's faithfulness to God, but on God's faithful promise to man, right? That's a powerful thing. And and so that liberates me because in my life, so many of the times when I have struggled, I felt like, you know what? I've been unfaithful to the Lord today. And when I'm unfaithful to the Lord, then I thought, you know what? That that affects my relationship with God in just just drastic, drastic ways. Can I just tell you something? I'm, I'm watching your face because I think so many folks in the church disagree with this statement. Even when you're unfaithful as a believer, God is still faithful to you because he cannot deny himself. Do you understand that? And he has kept both ends of the covenant to you. And so is that not a liberating thing? But like some people say, well, I don't know that you can teach that because you, if, you, if you really teach that, people just go and do whatever they want. No, it's just the opposite. You see, when you understand that God's kept both ends of the covenant, it just generates love and commitment uh, to our Father. It's a powerful thing. So Six times he says that. Six times he makes these statements, these I will statements. I will make a new covenant. I will put my laws in their minds. We'll look at that. Uh, I will be their God. I will forgive their wickedness. So I will, I will, I will. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying the new covenant is based on the faithfulness of God uh, to man, not man's faithfulness to God. Now watch this. In Exodus chapter 24, go all the way back under the old covenant, Let's see a defining characteristic of the Old Covenant or how the Old Covenant was lived out. It wasn't supposed to be lived out this way, but here's the, how the way it was lived out. In Exodus 24, when Moses went and told the people after God had given the law to Moses, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. And here's what they said. Everything the Lord has said, we will do, right? Right? Instead of, instead of having their relationship with God based on the I will statements, it was the we will statements, you see? And that's a major problem. So here's a question just to wrestle with. Here's a question to wrestle with. Is your spiritual life right now grounded in the I will of God or the we will of man? Is your spiritual life grounded in the faithfulness of God or your faithfulness. If it's in yours, it's a roller coaster ride, isn't it? But the new covenant is grounded in the faithfulness of our, of our God. Now, um, I, I tell people this all the time. I haven't said this in any of the other services. You know, the, the older I get, the less I know. Is that true for you, anybody? <laughs> the older I get, the less I know. I, here's what I know. God's faithful and life's hard. I'm sure of those two things. God is faithful and life is hard. And my relationship with him is based on his faithfulness to me. Uh, number, number four, this is important. I, I, I meant to put this at the first when you were freshest, but I'm trusting that you can get this. I, I think this principle could, could help you. It has certainly helped me. Here's one of his, his main points. Writer of Hebrews is telling us that eternal is greater than temporary. Now, don't miss that, all right? We might say, well, yeah, I already knew that, but do we? Eternal is greater than temporary. And where do we get that? Back from verse 1, it says the Lord Jesus sat down at the majesty of God in heaven. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, our Savior, our high priest is now in heaven at a place of power and a whole new perspective. He is, he is our eternal Savior. Like, and that was important. They understood this because the priest uh, could only serve from age 25 to 50. After that was a temporary office. From 25 to 50 at age 50, it was forced retirement. So for me, I'm 50. 
I'd be at Hardy's with the boys tomorrow morning having coffee. It's over, right? You know, that, that's the deal. Just a temporary, just a short run. But this high priest is an eternal, eternal priesthood, and that has a lot of implications. He says, if you live your life with an eternal perspective, then that impacts the decisions you would make on a daily basis. Does that make sense? When you live life with eternity in mind, does it impact the decisions you make? Certainly, it should impact every decision that, that we make. Like, if you don't have an eternal perspective, if you just live for this moment, you're going to run your life into a ditch in a hurry, right? But not only that, like you, you might say, well, yeah, I understand that, but let me just show you something a little bit deeper. If you understand that e- e- eternal is greater than the temporary, then it also affects the difficulties in life. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Let me try to explain this. Abraham, did, did, if you studied the Bible, you grew up in church, did God make a covenant with Abraham? It's one of the first covenants we see in Scripture. The covenant that God made with Abraham is that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. He would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. That's the covenant that God made to Abraham. Now, here's the question I would ask you about Abraham. Did Abraham experience all the promises of God in his lifetime or during his lifetime? No. In fact, he just experienced a very few of them. Most all of the promises that that God made to Abraham, they would be out there in the future after Abraham's life was over. Like what I'm about to talk about, we don't talk about this in the church. In fact, we teach many times something polar opposite of this, but it just doesn't square with the truth of Scripture. So let me try to explain it. Here's the point that when we choose the eternal over the temporary, it affects the decisions we make, but it also affects how we view the difficulties in our life. Because if you believe this, watch this, if you believe all the promises of God should be fulfilled in your lifetime, you're going to be very frustrated. But if you live with a very different perspective, an eternal perspective, it changes everything. In fact, if you have your Bible still open to Hebrews chapter 8, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. That's the hall of faith. We're going to get to that in a couple weeks. It's going to be super, super cool where we see the stories of these great uh, men of of faith who have gone before us and, and key characteristics in their life that we can really have or should have in our life as we live this thing out by faith. Listen to what it says in verse 13. All these people... Uh, People like Abraham, people like Noah, people like Moses. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're not going to put that on a coffee cup and, and, and kind of have an Instagram moment. Haven't received all the promises of God. Right. You see that? That was weird. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. How were they able to welcome them from a distance? Because they were living with a different perspective, right? An eternal perspective, not a temporary perspective. We really believe this. God, because I'm your child, then all of your promises for me and my family should be filled right now in the 70, 80, 90 years of existence that I have. And if not, I'm out. That's how so many people in the church live. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. That's interesting, isn't it? What were they saying? We're foreigners and strangers on earth. They were saying, this isn't all there is. This isn't my place. This isn't my home. There's something far greater coming. We don't live like that. We live like this is all there is, don't we? I mean, we just live like this is all there is. So we need, to, we, we need to accumulate everything we can. We need to experience everything we can. We don't need to have any bad experiences. We need all the promises here and now. But they understood this isn't all there is. Think about this. If God gave you all, all the promises now in this existence, we wouldn't be able to keep them anyways, right? 
because of the distortion of sin. Verse 14, but people who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. They're living with an eternal perspective, right? If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Like if you live with a temporary perspective, you prioritize the temporal over the eternal, when things get difficult, you'll always run back. That's what was happening in in Hebrews. Verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, right? They were living with an eternal perspective, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, right? So that's one of the main points, that we live with an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective in life. So here's the question, small group question. Do you believe all the promises of God must be fulfilled in your lifetime? Think about that. They're not going to be. But that doesn't mean that they aren't going to be fulfilled. You see, we have a different perspective. If not in this existence, they will be when we step into the kingdom. So I live with a different perspective. Because eternal is greater than the temporary. Number five, inside out is greater than outside in. The piano's playing. i got to go fast. Can you listen fast? Some of you are saying, if it will get me out of here, yeah, I'm in. This is an amazing point. He's saying inside out, this is part of the new covenant. This is a promise of the new covenant. Inside out is always better than outside in because Moses received the law on the tablets, right? On these stone tablets, it was outside in deal. Look at verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after the time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. That is a super relational term, and they will be my people. What is he saying here? He's saying that when we, by faith, enter into this new covenant, God changes our desires. He's saying outside in has never worked. Charles Spurgeon said this is an amazing statement. He said the best way to make a man keep a law is to make him love the lawgiver. Because when you fall in love with the lawgiver, the lawgiver changes our desires. This is the essence of Christianity. I was with a guy Thursday evening. We were just visiting and talking, and he said something that, that I just loved. It's a young dude. He said, you know, I've been coming here for about a year. It's been a real struggle in my life. A lot of different things have been difficult. He said, I've come here. And he said, I'll come on Thursday night. And he, says, he said, I know this is strange. He said, sometimes I'll stay for all three services on Sunday. He said, because I just don't want to leave this place. He said, it's not because of anything that, that we're doing. He said, I just love the word. I love the worship. I love being around the people of God. Do you know what that is? That is God changing someone's desires. That's a part of the new covenant. That's what happens when we understand, when we get a clearer picture. That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's saying, if you get a clearer picture of Jesus, when you begin to see him for who he is and what he wants to do, and when you trust him, then he begins to change your desires from the inside out, Right? gives us a new heart. That's what Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says. A new heart and new desires. But here's a question today. Here's a question. In fact, let me say this. This is super important. This is the mark of Christianity. A lot of times people say, well, how do I know that I've been born again? Well, one of the marks that you've been born again is in some way in your life, there will be some new desires from the inside out that you're having that you've never had before. Because God is writing his laws on your heart. 
So in what ways, this is an important question, in what ways am I living outside in versus inside out? Can I just speak to marriages just really quickly here? I've been doing marriage counseling for more years than I can count. Most people inside marriage are trying to live outside in. We're trying to change the other person. We try to control the other person. It never, ever works. It only destroys a marriage. You begin to trust God, pray for that person, give them a clear picture of Jesus and watch as Jesus changes them from the inside out, gives them new desires, and your marriage will come to life. If you're raising children, anybody raising children, don't you want your kids to behave, right? You're about to leave and go to lunch, right? You want your kids to behave at lunch. We want It's this highest value. We want our kids to behave, behave, right? I just looked at a mom. She winked at her son like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how does that happen? Is it outside in? No, it's still inside out, Right? that their desires change. That's what this new covenant brings. Isn't that an amazing thing? Right? God gives us a desire in our heart to live out the command he's called us to. That's a new covenant. It's powerful. Number six, totally forgotten is greater than temporarily covered. Under the old system, they were constantly going for sacrifices for a temporary covering, but it's the gospel that brings not only forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, but God choosing to forget our sin. Isn't that better? It's powerful. What does that mean? For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. It means he erases the board. He destroys the evidence. He clears the computer. Let me ask you something. This is an important question. In what way would your life be different today if you truly believed God remembers your sin no more? Some of you would walk out of here today leaving behind guilt and shame that has been paralyzing you for years. That's what's available to you in the new covenant. And then last thing, we'll be done. The writer of Hebrews wants us to know that covenants are always greater than contracts, right? You see, covenants are really promises that are founded on unconditional love, right? That's the covenant that God has with us. It was founded on his unconditional love for you. Probably the best example we should have of that today is marriage. Marriage is meant to be a covenant founded on unconditional love. The opposite of a covenant is a contract. Now listen to this. Contracts really are founded on distrust. You ever thought about that? I'm not saying contracts are bad. If you're in business, I'm not saying do away with all your contracts. You do away with all your contracts, you'll go broke. But really, why do you have a contract? Why do you make, if, if you're going to render a service for someone, why do you have them sign a contract? It's not wrong because you don't what? You don't know if you trust them. You don't know if you trust them to pay, right? That's a, the that's a difference between a contract and a covenant. But here's what happens. We prefer contracts over covenants. And so we have contracts in our marriage. If your marriage is a contractual relationship, you'll never have true intimacy in your marriage. See, because when a person really obeys, they're just meeting the obligation that was set. But listen, when you enter into a covenant which is founded on unconditional love, commitment grows, intimacy grows. It's a life changer. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you and me. It's this covenant relationship where he keeps both ends of the covenant. So here's the question, and then we'll be done. In what areas of my life? Am I choosing contracts over covenants? 
in what areas of my life am I choosing contracts over covenants? Would you just do me a favor as we close the service out? I'm going to just invite you just to bow your heads right where you are. And I'm going to just read some statements. These are choices that we've just kind of gone over, but they're summary. If, if you would choose this statement, would you just acknowledge that in some way to the Lord as an act of worship as I read this? Here's the first one. I choose a Savior over shadows. Would you just tell the Lord that? Jesus, I choose you as my Savior over the shadows. Help me stop making shadows the point when they were always meant to point me to you. Here's the next one. I choose grace over works. I choose a seated Savior over my standing and my striving. Here's another one. Would you acknowledge this to the Lord if this is your desire? I choose the eternal over the temporary. Father, I choose the eternal over the temporary. I choose to live in light of eternity with the decisions I make. And Father, even with the difficulties in life, I understand that not all the promises that you have for me will be fulfilled here and now, but I choose the eternal over the temporary. Jesus, I choose covenants over contracts. And maybe that's what my relationship with you has drifted toward as a contract. Christian karma. And Father, draw me back to that covenant relationship where you keep both ends of the covenant. Remind me of these I will statements of things that you said you would do. Father, remind me that my relationship with you is based on your faithfulness to me and not my faithfulness to you. And then lastly, I would say this. I wonder if anybody would say, Jesus, I choose believing and receiving, believing the truth of the gospel, that Christ died in my place and rose again. I choose believing and receiving versus earning and deserving. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for Catch Up Friday and Hebrews 8. Thank you for these main points that are so central to our faith. And Father, would you just burn these truths deep into our heart and our life? Can you remind us that you are greater than all things? And why would we run back to a broken system, to a shadow that was merely meant to point to you, our Savior? Teach us that. Christ's name. Amen.